Right, so um, today, inshallah, or tonight, um, we start with our uh, our first actual lesson in terms of new material. Last week, of course, we summarized the effectively the previous five years with respect to purification and wudu and ghusl and tiyamum and then the uh, ablution itself, wudu and its characteristics and then we entered into the chapter of the prayer uh, which always starts with the conditions, the preconditions and so we looked at some of those and um, we ended with the awrah which was the last thing that we did in detail as well and so the next uh, condition, the next or the next chapter or sub-chapter within the conditions of the prayer is to do with impurity. So impurity is making an appearance again, but in a different sense. So first time round, it was impurity with respect to the things that you're using and how you purify yourself and how you eat and whatever. But now impurity is being seen firmly within the lens of the prayer itself. You and the location. So impurity, najasa, okay, with respect to you and yourself. So let's look at the text. Shaz, bring that up. Uh, we'll read out. Yeah, the new class notes are on the portal. Okay. Huh? On the Zad tab. On the Zad uh, tab in the portal. So, um, uh, you know, you click on one of the things and you'll see the, the text there. We'll read the Arabic. And it's Bab Shurut Salah, which is the chapter of the conditions of the prayer. And the, today's particular text. And this will be probably the next three, four lessons, maybe. Okay. Waminha. Because this is continuing, so waminha meaning and from them, so this is now covering the aura, gone past the aura, gone past everything else. Waminha ishtinabun najasat, faman hamala najasatan la yu'fa anha, aw la qaha bithawbihi aw badanahi lam tasih salatuhu. Wa in tayyana ardan najisa, aw farashaha tahiran, kuriha wa sahat. Wa in kanat bitarafi musalla, مُتَّصِلٍ صَحَّتْ يعني الصلاة إِنْ لَمْ يَنْجَرَّ بِمَشِيهِ وَمَنْ رَأَى عَلَيْهِ نَجَسَةً بَعْدَ صَلَاتِهِ وَجَهِلَ كَوْنَهَا فِيهَا لَمْ يُعِدْ يعني الصلاة وَإِنْ عَلِمَ أَنَّهَا كَانَتْ فِيهَا لَكِنْ نَسِيَهَا أَوْ جَاهِلَهَا أَعَادْ يعني الصلاة وَمَنْ جُبِرَ عَظْمُهُ بِنَجِسٍ لَمْ يَجِبْ قَلْعُهُ مَعَ الدَّرَرِ وَمَا سَقَطَ مِنْهُ And there would be nice to actually have an apostrophe there, but it doesn't matter. وَمَا سَقَطَ مِنْهُ مِنْ عُدْوٍ أَوْ سِنٍ فَطَاهِرٍ وَلَا تَصِحُ الصَّلَاةِ You want to bring it down now, Shaz. وَلَا تَصِحُ الصَّلَاةِ فِي مَقْبَرَةٍ وَحُشٍ وَحَمَامٍ وَعَطَانِ إِبْلٍ وَمَغْصُوبٍ وَأَصْطِحَتِهَا Again, a comma might have been good after مَغْصُوب وَأَصْطِحَتِهَا وَتَصِحُ إِلَيْهَا يعني كلها يعني ما فوق ولا تصح الفريضة في الكعبة ولا فوقها ولكن وتصح النافلة باستقبال شاخص منها alright so this is nice it's a nice kind of complete uh, chapter translation bring it down Shaz is the conditions of the prayer include involve, uh, avoiding filth the conditions of the prayer include avoiding filth if one carries filth which is of a significant nature or allows his body or garment to come in contact with filth, his prayer is invalid. If the floor is filthy, but covered with layers of earth, or something pure is placed over it, the prayer is disliked, but remains valid. If there is some filth connected to the edge of his prayer area, and it cannot be dragged along with him whilst he walks, the prayer is valid. All of these sounds strange, it will be explained of course. If one observes filth on himself after the prayer, but was unaware before that, that it was there, the prayer is not repeated. However, if he knew it was there and then later forgot or didn't understand that filth, the prayer 
must be repeated. Okay? If one fixes a broken bone with something filthy, it does not need to be removed if it will cause injury. If anything were to fall off from him, such as a limb or a tooth, know that it remains pure. The prayer is not valid in the following. A graveyard, a toilet, a hammam, a camel pen or pasture, land which has been usurped, yani, um, unjustly you know, taken by force or whatever, and the roof, the roofs of all of the above, all these five places. The prayer is valid, however, if prayed towards all of the above. The obligatory prayer is neither valid inside or on top of the Kaaba. Supererogatory prayers, your nafal, however, are valid if facing inside, if facing one of its supports. Okay? So that's the chapter. I reckon maybe three, four lessons. Maybe. Could be dreaming, but you know, we can add some masala to it, make it nice and yani tasty and make it last about ten lessons. But that's cool. So what what, what is this what, what is this chapter about? It's about, whilst in prayer, the concept of najasa being on you, with you, and so on and so forth. And again, as I said last week, najasa is very important to understand that najasa does not mean dirty. Najasa means filthy and impure. Right? Like, for example, you see, um, uh, you see uh, the, um, the opening line about whoever carries filth. Just bring that up again, Shaz. The uh, uh, text... Uh, was it? Yeah, if one carries filth, which is of a significant nature. Now, carrying filth, as we're going to come to in a second, means actually linguistically, literally, and then in a way that is not being portrayed. So it means physically carrying it, and it also means basically what you're wearing. Okay, so if you're wearing something nejus, like clothes or shirt or something, then this is called carrying filth. This is like the technical way of expressing that. Now, my point that is very important for you to, to, to recognize, and I've said it before and again and again and again, and I say it again now, is that filth does not necessarily mean dirty. It can be clean. We chose for our international sign of Najasa, the Liverpool uh, football top. Okay? Actually, anything that has any Liverpool, any sign on it whatsoever. Actually, the sign itself is Najas. Okay? But a person might, and that's, that applies to the home kit, the away kit. And then that second away kit, because that's even more rougher, Yanni. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what the hell's going on there. Liverpool away kit, double away kit. Huh? Abrogated. No, 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 by Apple. By Apple. No, no, no. Then Apple made a massive comeback, Yara. Then we chucked Android in, then he wrote a letter, I don't know. Was he defending Apple or condemning it? That long ago, it was year one or year two, where you tried to launch the most lamest defense ever. But I can't remember whether it was for Apple or against Apple. It was for Apple. It was for Apple. It was based on the fact that you had an iPhone, basically. Yeah, yeah. So it was trying to attack me. Yeah, so it was going to be for Android and against Apple. This is, the, this is how petty the situation became. Because we chose a well-established standard that is completely consensus upon it about Liverpool shirt. And people started getting a bit, you know, touchy about that. And they started attacking phones. How can you attack a phone? Unbelievable. Anyway. The point is Liverpool shirt. If we look at Liverpool shirt and we assume it's najis, a person could have put it into the wash and it comes out smelling of roses. Man, lovely, isn't it? You know, a bit of Lenore, bit of fabric conditioner. It's lovely and clean, but it's still najis. It's not allowed to pray in it because it's najis. And that's the whole point here. Okay? So, important to separate that najasa could be even theoretically, it could be pleasing to the self, it could be something, whatever, but something which is dirty is not actually impure. I mentioned this yesterday, uh, last week, that a person could have dust all over him, whatever. Dust is nothing. Dust, just dust it off, khalas. You know, you've got mud on your hands. There's nothing beautiful more than mud or grass stains or whatever. But we call it dirty because of society calls it dirty. But in Islam, we have dirty and we have impure. And so whenever we use the word filth, we mean ritually impure because it has something that is yani, considered Islamically impure, such as a pig or dog or saliva of the dog or yani, feces or urine, etc., etc., etc. Okay? So that's why when you hear carrying, you need to, you need to uh, uh, understand it as clothes that's got stained by something. But also carrying could mean uh, quite... I mean, before it would have been difficult to understand, but today... Quite easy to understand. You're on your way to do, I don't know, to give the doctor a test, you know, that you want your urine test and you're carrying the urine sample, okay? And for example, you're checking for uh, cancer and so you've got a stool sample in the one of those envelopes, yes? And you've got that. 
and we've got the issue of significance now as well. So let's let, so let's look at it from let's look at it linguistically, right? Let's look at it word by word. All right, let's start from the from the the top. Sheikh Uthameen, if you want to follow his sharh, then he starts on two hundred and twenty-three in the Arabic, and he says, and he starts off by saying that ijtinabu najasat, yani to stay away from najasat, meanings to completely avoid it in every single possible way, and he means this is from three areas. Okay, what are the three areas? Come on, common sense. If you're going to avoid najasa from three what? Three areas which are going to be? Conceptually. And in najasa, if we are to avoid it, what are the three areas that we need to avoid it if it's linked to the prayer? Wider. Body. Clothes. And the place. Okay? So it's your body, it's your clothes, and it's the place. These are the three places that have to... When we say avoiding najasa with respect to the prayer, then these are the three parameters that we are focusing on. Okay? And as Sheikh Uthameen says, if we're going to say that, then we need a, an individual evidence for every single one of these three. You can't just say and assume that a person needs to avoid it. They, they, they should say, you need to avoid wearing dirty clothes and dirty and dirt on your and a filthy uh, uh, filthy clothes and filth on your hands if you say a complete avoidance with respect to the prayer then we need three individual and independent evidences for each three so the first is the body al badan okay the body itself and the condition of um, keeping the body clean and pure again clean is the wrong word at tahara purification required for the body is that the Prophet ﷺ, many evidences actually, so many. One of the evidences, the Prophet ﷺ, he passed by two uh, يعني, he passed by two graves where he said that the inhabitants of these two graves were being punished. And the Prophet ﷺ then informed us that one of those people, it was because he did not protect himself from urine. So he was getting splashback, as we covered this in a lot of detail, year two, year one from urine and he was not yani, doing the job properly so that's a major uh, problem and this is therefore an obligation this hadith indicates the obligation of keeping your distance away from urine and then that, that hadith is, narr- is narrated uh, well the, the references are in volume 1 page 133 and 130 and 131 of the mumtia if you just go back to year 1 year 2 I think year 2 you'll find all the references for these hadith he then carries on and says also the uh, hadith that obligate Istinja and istijmar. Istinja, cleaning the private parts with water. Istijmar, cleaning the private parts with solid objects. Okay? All of these, Shaykh Uthameen says, All of these make it very clear that you've got to keep yani, your body clean from najasa. As for the garment, the clothes, then clothes, then the first evidence is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَثِيَابَكَ فَطَهِّرْ as we all know, and your garments, the Prophet ﷺ was commanded in the Quran, then keep it clean, keep it pure. Alright? So this is in Surah Al-Mudathir, verse number 4, and this is what this is the, the main uh, interpretation of this verse. Because yes, I have to say, that there are some scholars that said that this verse, has other more kind of esoteric meanings as well, not just yani, the obvious, literal, linguistic meaning of purify your clothes. It means purify your da'wah, purify your akhlaq, purify, yani, you know, because when you wear something, it's not always just seen as clothes. You wear your character, you wear your heart on your sleeve, as, as we say, right? So there are some more general interpretations of this verse as well, but there's no doubt that its primary interpretation is clothes itself. And the other evidence is the hadith, which is also authentic. The Prophet ﷺ went by, was, uh, was with a woman who, uh, who asked him about the ruling of, she was menstruating, and the menstrual blood had um, uh, leaked onto the clothes. And the Prophet ﷺ said that she had to wash it and then pray in it. Had to wash it and then, then pray in it. The third evidence that we can use is the famous hadith of Jibreel. The Prophet ﷺ was praying in his slippers, leading the jama'ah, leading a congregation outside. And then when suddenly in the prayer, the Prophet ﷺ takes off his two na'al, two, two slippers, and the rest of the companions behind, they followed him in that action. And then afterwards, the Prophet ﷺ then told them, why did you do that? I was told to do it because Jibreel came and told me and said that there was impurity on my chapel and so therefore I removed them. And that is in the prayer. Moving in the prayer is not permissible unless there is a reason to do so. That reason has to be bigger than the obligation of the prayer itself, indicating therefore that to remove uh, uh, impurity 
is a key obligation that has to be happening before the prayer. But what's also fascinating is that we learn from this hadith as we've covered before, is that if you are in the prayer and you find out you have impurity that can be removed from you, you can carry on and it does not negate the prayer. And that's fascinating because we can look at that in a minute as well in terms of um, it's normal uh, application, modern day applications. And then the next one is the evidence for the area that you pray in. So the delil for that, the evidence for that, is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Baqarah verse 125 and السجود, and to this this command yani, directed at Ibrahim and Ismail السلام, to purify the house purify the house <laughs> for who? for the people who are making tawaf for the people who are going to stay there for the people who are in who are going to make ruku' and sujood okay so the area has to be made pure وَمِنْهَا Another evidence the Prophet ﷺ said with respect to the masajid, to the mosques, he said, It's not right that the houses of Allah have al-qadr and adha. Yani dirt, impurity, filth. Okay? And the famous hadith that we spoke about so much before, when the Bedouin came in and started urinating in the corner, then the Prophet ﷺ, after he had finished, he ordered his companions to bring the buckets of water to wash, wash it out. Otherwise, it would have been okay to leave. He was not praying in that corner and so on. But it is the area of prayer has to be purified. And therefore, the majority of the scholars, ilm, are upon the opinion that to avoid filth is an absolute condition for the validity of the prayer. Listen to the words. You're now students, okay? You're not you're just casual people who are sitting here. You are students. It is a condition for the validity of the prayer. That's the mass majority of the scholars. Okay? And there are others that said no. What do you think the others that said no, what do you think their opinion would be? If I said to you that the majority of the scholars, it is their position that purity of the self, place, clothes, clothing, is a condition for the validity of the prayer, what would you think that the other opinion would be? Uh huh. Go on. Yeah, it would be correct. Uh, yeah, basically, it's haram to to avoid it, uh, haram to ignore it. <coughs> so you have to do it. Uh, but if you didn't and you took on the sin, your prayer is still valid. You could you, you didn't have to repeat your prayer. Whereas, according to the majority, and it is the position of the Hanbalis, and it is the position of Sheikh Uthameen, and it is my position, and it is the class position as well, actually pre-purity of self-clothing and, and location is so important that if it is not done, then the prayer is invalid. The prayer is invalid, meaning it has to be repeated. Okay, that's the, that is the uh, uh, position. Okay, um, I want to say, that from this, a number of interesting uh, points uh, comes out. The, and by the way, if you want to know why is it that the, that position is more correct, because the Prophet ﷺ said, Whoever does an action that is not yani, from our sunnah, our acts, then it is rejected. So this prayer has been commanded to us by the Prophet ﷺ to do in a very specific way. So if you do not do it in that way with its preconditions, then the, the prayer itself is rejected. So that's a simple and easy way of seeing it. And that's why it is absolutely essential. Now, the author then adds a, another statement. Bring up the uh, uh, PDF, uh, Shaz. He says, If one carries filth, which is of a significant nature, okay? فَمَنْ حَمَلَنَا جَاسَةً لَا يُعْفَى عَنْهَا Okay, now, لا يعفى عنها, I have translated it as of a significant nature. لا يعفى عنها, linguistically translated means which cannot, which, فمن حمل النجاسة لا يعفى عنها, whoever is, has with him or on him a level of filth which is not pardoned, which is not pardoned, which indicates that the Hanbalis have let a chink of light into the issue. They have a concept there that there is some kind of idea that there is some level of najasa that can be pardoned. And if you're thinking of pardoned, then the idea is that it is ignored, basically. It's ignored. And how are we going to determine that? 
in, in, in the English language, you're either going to say pardonable or non-pardonable or whatever, or you're going to say it's insignificant. Because then you're going to use the words significant and insignificant, not necessarily in terms of quantity, but in terms of how the lawmaker, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sees it. Okay? So, one of the uh, uh, interesting kind of uh, 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 examples of this, as, as uh, Sheikh Uthameen says on page 225, he goes that we have seen uh, that many of the scholars uh, um, he said, for example, uh, we know that um, little bits of blood from even human beings or even from uh, 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 animals that are pure and clean, like uh, uh, cattle and so on, that if that gets on you, then on your clothes and so on, then this does not affect that person's wudu. It is insignificant. We're not talking huge stains and huge whatever. And that's yani, regardless of whether you see blood as pure or impure. And then he mentions, of course, in the Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah is very famous for this issue. And I don't know how much detail I went into this then, because, you know, sometimes, just like actually we all study, when you study something in junior school, and then secondary school, and then you get to A-level, and same subject, but you keep you know, going back and saying what you learned before, forget that now, you know, I don't... And sometimes when you introduce yani, the, the differences of opinion too early, it can confuse folks, okay? We spend a lot of time going into the absolute importance of making sure that water, for example, touches every single part of the skin, right? And we made very, very clear how important najasa is and how it must be completely avoided and how clean you've got to be. And, and, and that's how you always learn. But then later on, you develop that there are some kind of parameters or there is some kind of possibility for some leeway and some kind of ease in this situation. All right. So for example, um, I just gave you the, the, the example of the blood, but now pretty much all the scholars agree on that. But Ibn Taymiyyah, he went further. So he said, for example, if a person is uh, a shepherd or someone who works in a farm, and they're, for example, they are, uh, you know, or they have donkeys and, and mules and so on. And if you're working and, you know, you're, you're picking up the manure and you're, you're raking manure and, you know, you, you're doing a proper, proper job, it's impossible to protect yourself entirely from the urine of these animals. And a person will try his best. And the truth is, he will try his best and there will be something that will still remain upon his clothes and his body. Okay? Because he's actually working physically in Najasa. And this is the kind of najasa which is a necessity yani, that someone has got to do, people have got to do. And that industry has got to exist. If we now start obligating a certain level of purity where there has to be 100% microscopic DNA analysis, yani, purity, this job is going to become virtually impossible. In fact, it's not even going to be. Yani, and that job is important yani, for so many people. And the level of importance of job is not as important as the difficulty for that individual. He gives another example. Sheikh al Islam gives another example, and he says, um, Buyat is painters. So the people who are decorators and handymen and so on, you know, these people, as you know, we've covered this, isn't it? We spoke about uh, paint being on your hands and arms. That's a problem because it's uh, 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 hydrophobic. Yes, it's uh, oil-based, and therefore it repels water. And therefore it doesn't allow water to touch the skin at all. Which is why we said person's got to wash not only properly, but then use, you know, liquid paraffin, white spirits, all the rest of it, to get all the paint off. And anyone who's actually done a proper day's work, obviously no one here in Cheadle, but, yeah, and, oh, sorry, Alteringham, maybe some of the people in Cheadle, maybe. But anyone who's done a proper day's work knows, okay, if they've done some painting or done some kind of thing, either it's an absolute mission to get rid of that stuff off your hands or any part of your body, every single speck. Now, I want you to consider that every speck, however the size of that speck, and you'll determine how big it is, is blocking water, agreed? So by definition... You've washed yourself and you've put on the old, you've done the old pack thing where you went for soap, that was no good. So then you took out the, the washing powder, used the Daz, yeah? I don't know, that's what my dad taught me. I don't know for how long, yeah? And he used the washing powder, do that. That doesn't work either. All the grains help though, like gritty kind of thing. Then you bring out the, you know, the, the, the white spirit and that doesn't work either. Petroleum, whatever it is. White spirit works wonderful. White spirit works wonderful? Yeah, but does it give it absolutely every single tiny thing? <coughs> You know that you look at your hands and you say, well, that's good enough. No, you did properly, yeah. no, no, bro. Behave yourself, yeah. Uh, bro, come on. Let's just be honest. When was the last time you ever touched paint, bro? Come on, yeah. Come on, yeah. I've done more paint 
Oh, what? Are you kidding me, Shaz? Should we now start talking about what you pay to people to come and do painting? The whole of Rochdale, bro, bro, painting here, exactly, yeah, painting is not a metaphor for drinking the town dry, bro, yeah, painting, we're talking the real painting. So, uh, Sheikh Hussain bin Taymiyyah actually gave the fatwa that it is permissible for a person that has this kind of specs to, um, and the reason I'm smiling is because where this is leading is going to lead to somewhere where people are going to literally going to have a heart attack, yeah, and considering that we spoke about this for months and months. yeah. But what that basically means is that there's some leeway for these kind of people, all right? because it would be too difficult. Each time, as Sheikh Uthameen says, Especially if getting rid of that, that stuff okay, is going to cause a problem. Because Sheikh Al-Islam yara anna al-illa Al-mashakka. He goes, the reason that we will allow these people this leeway is difficulty. Mashakka is the illa, is the sharia reason from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we will not obligate upon this person to sit there for one hour and scrub absolutely everything yani each time. Because the truth of the matter is, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to give you like, you know, the, the real world kind of version of this. All right? I'm just going to use packs, my people, right? And... You've got different types of packs who work in the handyman trade. All right? So you've got either the religiously practicing hardcore, okay? And those people, what they do is they literally spend half an hour getting rid of everything from themselves at the prayer time, okay? And then they jump back in, and then they jump back out and jump back in. And winter is an absolute nightmare for them. So when Dohar comes in, and then they try to sometimes yani, delay and this and that, but you can see that they waste like an hour and a half just washing and cleaning, washing and cleaning. They take separate clothes with them, etc., etc., etc. And then you've got those that are practicing, but they are so put off by the mission that they've been taught, that they have to do all this, that they normally pray the prayers at home all together in one go. And that's the most common reality of so many Muslims. And here's the thing. Those people who are actually, you know, concerned about the thing, all right? Those are the people, as well as those who are not practicing and get put off and are not going to pray at home anyway because they just get put off, put off. You know, those are the people who they always say, oh, I'm a kapre polite, you know, I'm a kapre polite. They're day and night, they're kapre become polite when they walk outside, they're my kapre polite. It's their, like, their number one yani, excuse. My clothes will become impure, my clothes will be... It doesn't matter what job they do, but somehow they become polite. Yeah? Like the working environment is polite environment. Which, to be honest, I've got to say, I like that idea. I like that concept that the working environment is a polite environment. Yeah? No one should work. We should all be given money. But, but the real world is that these people, they literally produce this kind of mental kind of mindset that actually, if I go to work, I'm going to... It's, it's, it's an impure, filthy environment with filthy things... And you know what? Prayer is difficult anyway in front of people, isn't it? Right? So it all kind of fits in place perfectly and that person doesn't pray at all. Alright? And he knocks out his Jum'ah. And for Jum'ah to observe this person is fascinating. This person on Jum'ah, he will 100% bring absolute, a complete change of clothes. Socks, clothes, this, that. If he's a working person. And he will stop very, very early. And he will do exactly what we said in the first case. Because that is his mindset. And that's why it's so important for us, Yani, to recognize not just to change deen for people, but to see whether Sharia recognizes that there is a concept here that there are certain leeways that exist within the space of the Sharia. Is it wasir enough? Is it broad enough to be able to encompass that? And is it a correct position as well? And we have to go out there and change the mindset of people. There are so many people out there that are falling into an analogy of this story that I've created. They're the people, for example, who are women who don't want to... Uh, ruin their hairstyles for example or men who don't want to ruin their uh, hairstyle or women who've got makeup and can't bother to take it off for example or you've got the woman who's worried about taking a hijab off in a communal bathroom for example and then you've got the the guy who is you know he is completely vehemently against or he's been brought up against the concept of masah of wiping his uh, socks and therefore believes that the only way to pray is to actually wash his feet and he's not going to do that in the sink in front of his yani, you know, chartered accountants and his whatever in his accountancy office or his whatever upper class, whatever he thinks he is, whatever. And people create 
their own barriers and they create their own mindset. And that is why it is so important when we study this chapter that we study it from its principles and not its headlines and create and use those principles to create or to revive, more accurately, a modern, relevant, authentic fiqh which caters for every single person in every single profession, male or female, every single day. So our women can pray and they can make mas'h over their hijab and they don't need to keep taking it on and off and so on and so forth. And our men can have this and our women can have the option of wiping over their socks. And water does not need to be used in such huge amounts. Let's explain to people that actually it's not about yani, having to gargle and you know kill your nose basically each time that you're trying to make madmada and it's in shaq. Yani, it doesn't even, we, and even we say to them that you know what, actually it's not an obligation to clean the nose uh, anyway. And so you might say, that's good, it's a sunnah which I'll do at home, but when I'm at work, I'll stick to the minimum. And I'll just wash my face. And, I, you know, that's, keep it simple. I mean, a person has knowledge and he's armed, he's empowered, and he uses what he uses and he leaves what he leaves. And the, the issue of, about the prayer, if there is doubt over the fact that his prayer, his clothes are clean or not clean, it doesn't matter because doubt means nothing. I, I set off from home, my, my, my clothes were clean and doubt means nothing to me and I'm going to carry on praying. We covered that in a lot of detail. And now we've learning, we're learning that, you know, if a person tried his best to maintain, uh, you know, distance from impurity and something might have got on here and there uh, that is very, very tiny in nature, then that's not a problem uh, likewise. The handyman we've now helped as well. We've said to him, wash your hands and you know, get the majority off, but little bits and pieces here and there, it's not a problem. And that guy now is going to pray easy. He's not going to go through a complete nightmare. We, we, we've clarified to that guy. When he looks at himself, he, he, does, he feels napak. He feels dirty because he sees pain all over him, whatever. We're saying to him, brother, there's nothing wrong with paint on your clothes. There's nothing impure. It's dirty. You wouldn't go into a meeting with your business manager in those clothes. But in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those clothes are legitimate to pray in. Because they are dirty with paint, not dirty with najasa. So we will have to keep reinforcing these points and correct these yani, misunderstandings so that people do not find difficulty. Now, how far are we going to go with this? What about nail polish? That's a major issue. All right? The question there is, first, well, first of all, questions: do we even want to be opening that door? Right? Because once you start opening that door, then, you know, my girls are going to run with that. Like, you know, it took, I don't know how many, 20 years for the whole water permeable nail polish to get here. And now they're all going to turn around and say, well, you know what? You can stick to your L'Oreal, Rimmel, whatever the class is called. Yeah? And it, it doesn't matter and so on and so forth. I mean, um, what I want to say to you is that um, this is the danger of these principles. Okay? Just how far do they go? I mean, I can tell you now there are, there are a number. Minority, small, but a number of scholars that although they will not allow a full nail to, that's covered in nail polish because that's taking liberties right okay because that's not insignificant that's a huge blob that isn't it I mean <laughs> I just want just so that you know I'm not saying insignificant is a nail thing and then not just that what five of them or ten of them yeah right so that's a huge amount to be honest we're talking specs Bits and pieces here and there. We're talking, you know. So that's the first thing. But what if someone in the morning with their non-permeable uh, uh, thingamajig, uh, nail polish, they had a go at it and they put all the acetone on it and they rubbed it, rubbed it, rubbed it. And it virtually all came off, but there was bits and pieces there. And it like is red, but you can look, you can see a little red speck there, red speck there. And they might do a quick yani, scratch job, but they can't get rid of it. I think that girl's in. I think she's in. You get what I'm saying? I think she's alright. What could be another application? This is more controversial. We need to think about this more. Okay? The water permeable one that has not had it proven. You know, they do all these tests. You see all these videos and things and it drives me nuts when I ask people ask me that question. Have you not seen the video, Sheikh? Have you not read the thing? No, I haven't. Because honest to God, I've got so many better things to do than to watch you and your 15-minute YouTube test of blah blah being put through and whatever whatnot. not interested you know what I'm saying and now okay read this Yani document 56 pages study of whether it's again so not interested not interested yeah so but let's just uh, I'm more interested in just speaking theories uh, speaking principles sorry so I'm saying that if the company claims because it's not exactly something great to claim is it for a for a I think 
for a cosmetic company that our uh, nail polish is water permeable, unless it's to a Muslim practicing market, right? Or, or have I misunderstood makeup? No, yeah? It would make no sense to a normal, conventional crowd to say that yours is so thin that it lets water through, correct? Yeah? So that's only attractive to Muslims. So if they're making that effort, okay, I think that they should be given them the, 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 uh, the what's the word? The benefit of the doubt. I don't know, I left it too far, but yeah, any benefit of the doubt. And they've got studies, and, and, and then those studies, they start to show that, yes, the, 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 the tissue became wet, or I don't know what they do, but uh, sometimes it got wet, or a little bit wet, or X, or Y, or Z. So here, I say, to a shaking head, Junaid, that if we have a product which is letting water through at some level, but failing at some other level, this is almost analogous to the specs of a non-permeable uh, uh, nail polish. That's something which is going around in my head. Scholars have already okayed it, by the way. I'm not happy with that. I'm not... No, 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 don't, I don't want to say I'm not happy with that. I have my questions about that. But I can certainly see its validity of the argument. That if you're going to allow defined specs to block water, then what about where actually we've made this nail polish to let water go through to the skin underneath, but it's not happening all the time. Or if you put it on too thick, for example, or you, you know, you're meant to, uh, you know, the conditions say you've got to do one brush or whatever. I don't, I don't know how it goes or whatever. And you put like six brushes on and you're the one who's messed it up, whatever, and the tests on. I, I, I don't know. My point is, is that there could be space, um, no doubt, safer position to avoid. No doubt a safer position is to be on the safe side, obviously, and avoid all this kind of stuff. But men, it's difficult to have that argument to men because men wouldn't wear nail polish anyway. They couldn't care less. And women are obsessed with that bakwas. And so what can we do? You can't cut women out of the fiqh yani, sphere entirely. I mean, we'd like to sometimes. <laughs> fiqh, purity sphere. But we can't. They love that stuff. And we spoke about this so many times in the last, last year's last lessons about makeup and beautification. There has to be an implicit acceptance by men that women, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created different. Not they are different. Allah has created them different. And they love al-hulia. And they love beautification. And they love yani, beautifying and, and, and. So there has to be some, what we say, mulazamat that follow that. There has to be some kind of, not concessions, but there has to be some realities that are adjusted with respect to them. But, yani, this is just some food for thought. Before I move on to the next obvious one, yep. How is that an acceptable analogy if one, in one case we're talking about somebody's job and it's something that can't be avoided versus somebody who's like... But we didn't, right? We didn't put it in the context of job. Are still talking about remnants where she tried to take it off? No, no, all of these, I'm saying. I, I, I took that job out of it, didn't I? I was very clear to take the job out of it. That's why I said, in fact, any job. And then I went further and said, what is Ibn Taymiyyah arguing this on the basis of? Mashakka, not job. So if a woman, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the basic question, right? It's the question actually which underlies all of fiqh. How much are we going to obligate upon people to do that particular obligation? So in the chapter of Tayammum, you read and learned that they said that if you go and this on the prayer time is about to run out or it's going to cost this much or it's, there's always going to be a subjective call to where you cut off your attempts to finding water or to finding another solution or to spending time. That subjective call is always going to be criticized because it's subjective. Because another person will come along and say, why are you stopping me at one mile of walking when I know that I could find it in two miles of walking? So likewise, wudu, you say to me, you know, no, it's not difficult. I say, define difficulty. You say, well, woman needs to get ready for the prayer. We've got to give her, you got, she's got to try for half an hour at least. All right, now if you set to me a half hour acceptable time limit for wudu, I, I've, I've got to say, I, I can't see that working in real life. Half an hour, for example, or 20 minutes even, for a person to do the precursors for wudu. Yani, that's the reason why those, for example, in the job examples I gave you of the handyman, we have the three scenarios that play out because a 20-minute preparation just to do the washing of your hands versus, versus what probably would take one minute but would get rid of 95% of the problem. 
I think the Sharia is is not making wudu bigger than that or longer than that. Okay, but if we're talking about difficulty, mm-hmm. it's not difficult for women to not wear nail polish. She didn't have to put the nail polish on. That's what I'm Ag- understanding. I, 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 I agree. I agree with that. That's why... Just repeat the thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with, with that said, however, nail polish from the beginning was put on when it was not a requirement for the job and it wasn't required for life and it wasn't something which was, you know, obligatory. And so, yeah, you know, getting rid of it later is a hassle, but it shouldn't have gone in the first place. Unlike the paint which a person had to and unlike the X which the person had to. And I have to say that that's where my doubts are. My doubts are, uh, you know, and I said it jokingly, we should just get rid of the concept of nail polish. But the truth is, the truth is that where is the line drawn, all right, between us just making sadhudhariya and safety and closing the door to all doubt and closing the door to all possibilities of yanik problems afterwards? What point do we introduce that as our absolute rule in life? And when do we start to recognize the rights, not the rights, the wishes and the whims of people and their own personal thinking? If we are saying that nail polish is halal, if we are saying nail polish is halal, which some people don't, I accept that, okay? But if we're saying it's halal, at what point are we going to start now saying you shouldn't put it on to avoid X, Y, Z? Because once you start to say something is halal, as I've always said before, saying the halal is the easy part. Buying the expensive car is the easy part. Buying the big house is the easy part. Then it's the continuous yani, taxes and the upkeep. And it's the continuous servicing of your luxury car. And it's the continual yani, you know, dealing with the makeup issues, not the allowing to be worn. Because allowing the makeup to be worn, so many evidences that would establish the permissibility of women beautification. Henna being used, the other stuff being used, and the modern day versions of this, that, whatever. So it's difficult. Once you've allowed it, then to what extent are we insisting upon a person? And remember, when we say it's allowed... It's not allowed for a non-Muslim we're talking about. We're talking allowing it for a praying Muslim five times a day. So when you say that's allowed for her, then that's obviously a statement which is taking into account her realities five times a day. So I agree completely. This is definitely a matter of ishtihad. It's not a clear point. Can't have consensus. It's not clear. Better to avoid it. But I'm saying that, you know, women are of different types. There are some women who look at that and say, I allow that I'm not wearing no makeup. I'm not taking a risk. And you know what? There are women that are upon that, and we're, great, we're, we're grateful that there are women on that level of iman. But the truth is that the majority aren't. The majority aren't, and you know, for them, they live in a culture and a society where people are doing all kinds of bakwas with their fingers, right? And they're just kind of saying, you know what, I'll just put a little bit of nail polish on. And they see that as like, you know, <laughs> 5% of what society is doing. I mean, I don't know what else they do with the fingers, but Shazad does a few things. I don't know what he does, but like, straighten. <laughs> Nothing, you know. You know, in 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 our in our in in the part about um, custom picking, our our staff aren't allowed to wear nail polish. What does that mean? Your staff are not allowed, or the Department of Health do not allow yeah. dental technicians to wear nail polish. What does that actually mean? So, so what happens if she has a uh, uh, the, the the lacquer that she has on? No, so it's not allowed. It. You're not allowed to pull. So it says. Nail. How are you gonna tell? Whether I've got lacquer on mine or I've got beautiful nails. Shiny. Not that shiny. You can get blunt la- lacquer, like the one I've got at home. Well, it says here, here that uh, nails must be short, nails uh, must be kept short. Nails that have not grown past the fingertip when viewed from the palm, false nails and nail varnish are not permitted. That's a sick line. Never heard that before. Nails that have grown past the fingertips when viewed from the palm. What a sick line. Never heard that before. I think... By the way, that's longer than we'd accept it. Yeah, that's quite long, that. Goodness me, I never heard that before. You'd get all kinds of bakwas underneath that. Oh, that's like, that's long. Don't look at it like this, guys, from the palm. The Department of Health wants you to look backwards. It comes down to actually when our staff want, you know, we've had issues with it before where they want to whatever get these uh, false nails or whatever. Yeah, but hold on. I think it is more, correct me if I'm wrong, more to do with A, uh, stuff underneath, the hygienic part, and then B, anything which comes across, uh, off it. Infection can't be based upon the surface, can it? Yeah, but 
Otherwise, a person's nails are a problem then, full stop. So yeah. it's about what's underneath the nails mm. and, and then maybe what could come off. Yeah, it's the cleaning of the earth because you're underneath it. Yeah. Again, so. so. But then why did it prohibit the nail varnish? It must be the fact that, you know, it's, you can't decontaminate or clean that surface sufficiently when it's on. Uh, well, you've seen, I'm going to be very careful here who's seen this, but yeah, I mean, people have seen, you know, how women do some of this makeup stuff. They like they paint stuff on, don't they? They like create moons and stars and things. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew my best is going to be done when I explain this part. So if you're making a moon and a star, okay. and you're painting it on a night sky, okay. you're creating a ridge on a surface, isn't it? And every time you create a ridge on a flat surface, you're giving bacteria a place. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, bro. It's not rocket science. It's only dentistry. But you're not you're not going to say right. It's banned to have moons and stars on your thingy. You're going to get rid of nail polish, aren't you? No, because when it comes down to wearing a wedding band, they allow a wedding band, but not more than that. Which uh, which is I'm glad you reminded me. This is also why the scholars said you do not. You know, you've seen people take off their watches and take off their thingy. You don't need to. Okay, you don't need to because in general, when you wash, you wash it like that. But you don't then have to, you know, completely get rid of it and see exactly that every single tiny microscopic part. Because we have no evidence from the Prophet that he removed his ring when he made wudu. No evidence. Yet we know that he wore one. So we don't assume that he just ignored it. We assume that he would just have washed it. You know, remember he's making wudu with this much water. So you know, you got to, you know, that this is not without foundation. This idea of 98% concept You know what I'm trying to say We should never aim at that We should aim of course at 100 But I want you to just I just want you just to be More realistic about What's happening here Sliding hmm? Sliding Sliding yeah Oh, I'm, If you slide it You're covered anyway But I'm just saying that Even non-sliding Water is one of those amazing things That gets everywhere Right And I'm saying that If a person Unless he's got one of these Like you know Dame Edna mission rings, you know, huge ones. She's out of became interested in there. Look, yeah, you see. Oh, she's my generation. Oh, he's my generation. <laughs> gender gender neutrality. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If it's a big monster thing, yeah, then that's something else. But if it's a basic ring, you're expecting water to basically be there, thereabouts, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Right, what's the other application of this? The other application of this, I told you about you know, urine samples and things like that. That's something which you've got to be careful of, all right? Um, actually, let's just finish what uh, Sheikh says, then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll cover the rest. Um, so anyway, Sheikh continues, and so he says, and all of this is because of difficulty. Because this deen is meant to be easy, and, um, and many of these things, they happen a lot. You see, with that, يعني, these are the things that happen for people. Now, you mentioned makeup or, or, or nail polish. It's not work, but it's a human reality. I think that what, what they're trying to say is that those things which happen mankind's kind of basic realities. Yes, Anika, yeah. Twenty-nine billion. You want to slow down? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait one second, one second, one second. Oh, okay, money. I thought you were say people. Yeah, I thought what? <laughs> this is another one of those Pakistani exaggerations. We're twenty-nine billion in a population of seven billion. Right, twenty-nine billion pounds, dollars. Twenty-nine billion dollars. Muslim women spent on halal cosmetics. Goodness me, thirty-nine billion. All wasted. Ghaliban. All wasted, subhanAllah. Imagine all the people we could save with that. No woman, Yani. I think all women should make Toba, I think. <laughs> all of this is on their necks. 29 billion. 29 billion. And that's all stolen from the men. No doubt we paid for all that. 29 billion. But yeah, but ghaliban lil insan, right? That's, I mean, just statistically, we've seen that's a reality for lots of people. Um, obviously, and that's just the halal one, right? So that's not your L'Oreal's and your Rimmel's and your, I think I'm worth it and all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah? So, anyway, um, so Sheikh now says, okay, he wants to give Yani some uh, ideas of um, what does it mean to carry Najas. I already told you that. It means, like, for example, carrying um, uh, a urine sample and a clothes, okay? But this urine sample is, 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 a, is a good one, okay? Yeah, so I just want to mention about the baby, okay? Because a baby, all right, um, who wears diapers, nappies, okay? They are obviously they've got feces, which is najis, and urine as well after you know a number of months for both sexes, okay? So it's najasa. Therefore, we learn from this rule that it is impermissible to pick up a baby in the prayer, which is very common for women to do. Okay, at home, when the kid's crying, and they pick them up in the salah to keep them quiet. Because this is actually technically lifting, uh, carrying najasa. It's actually the exact definition of carrying najasa. However, like I said before, if you are holding a baby, and then it did a nappy, you are allowed to continue the prayer by placing the baby down. That would be the exact analogy from the hadith. You get what I'm trying to say? So there's a difference between carrying a baby and leaving it and picking up a crying child. And again, it has to be certainty that it's not just, not just, it could be. Could be doesn't mean anything. Okay? But if you've got a, you know, if you just put on a fresh nappy, there's no reason that it should be. And if there is no smell coming, then there's no reason it should be. But if this is Fajr time, then of course, this child is urinated in that all night. And that's the ghalib situation. So that would not that would be avoided, and likewise, yeah, you just make your judgment call in that. Are there any other applications of this? Blood samples. Yeah, I mean, again, blood samples would come into this issue if you considered blood to be najis. Okay, if you're carrying a blood sample, meaning along with your urine sample, along with any other sample, if again. That's based upon the najasa of blood, which I said there's a, that's obviously a big discussion. I don't think it is, but you know. Okay, any other any other questions? I'm lost here. Yep. I'm crazy with a urine sample in the hand. No, but, no, no, but, but let's, let's say, for example, you have a, a doctor's appointment. So this is the real world, you see. Obviously, me and you, we don't live in the real world, okay? But a person who works in, you know, town centre, and their doctor is opposite, and their appointment is at 12, and they know that they need a early morning, yani pre-breakfast sample, and it's all very clean. You put it in the thingy, put it in the bag, you put it in your pocket, and away you go. And prayer time comes, and your appointments after, and it's in your pocket. I mean, these are these are all possible, aren't they? I mean, it's rare, obviously, but that's, that's very possible. If they've said twelve o'clock, I will give you the appointment, but you need to bring your, your urine sample with you. And for example. Oh, forget all the early morning one. Forget, in fact, which is, as you know, the most common urine sample. They want before, you know, first thing in the morning. But let's say I ignore that. Let's say that they want any urine sample. Who's going to go and do that at work? Who uses the toilet at work? Am <laughs> I the only guy who never uses the toilet outside of his house? Like ever. Like ever, ever. Unless I'm stuck in Hajj. Where he's, then it's impossible. Although I want to say, I'm that kind of guy who makes a decision. I'm not even joking, Ajman. I made a shout that I'm going to go back to Azizia to use a toilet. Yeah, which is an hour walk. Yeah, to go use a toilet and use it properly and then come back to my minutes. But then I went past the, the, the toilets and they're empty. Yeah. So I said, yeah, all right. It saves me an hour walk. I've got to have my own toilet to do my own thing. You know what I'm saying? Whereas if you're like Usman, yani, he just does anything anywhere. So you're Yeah. And your two-year-old comes. Yeah. And you've got a reason to do this. So that's, some, that's something different, okay? So, so, so Ajman is saying, you're praying and your two-year-old comes soiled nappy and he sits right down in front of your, you know, he sits down right in front of you where your sajda is. So now you're going to have to touch the kid, okay? And that's something which is permissible, okay? Because you cannot make sajda uh, uh, without it. If you are able to, then you do it. If you're able to make sajda, you know, like one of these sajdas, then that's okay. But if you can't, and the child needs to be moved, then it's permissible to move the child. Now this is going to become something interesting in, uh, well, next week now. Um, that section of text that talked about, you know, whether you can be pulled by it, or whether you are able to pull it, okay? 
would also refer to a child. Okay, classically in the books of fiqh, you know I said that if you are praying in a prayer area or on a prayer mat that's connected to najasa and you are unable to, uh, and you are, and if you were to pull it, you can't pull it with you, then the prayer is valid. That's what the text says. What does that mean? It means basically that you're in a desert and you've got a dog. We're going to assume everything to do with the dog is najis. And we basically, uh, we don't want to lose the dog and it's prayer time and it's najis. So you tie the dog and you would tie the thing, the leash to your hand. So you've got najasa connected to your hand via a leash. So what are they saying? They're saying the prayer is acceptable because, um, sorry, they'll say that the one of the dog is not acceptable because you can't actually pull that with you. Whereas if it was a stone, a big rock that was covered in najasa, for example, then if you were to tie your hand to it for some random reason, <laughs> I don't know, don't know what the reason is, you're going to see it there in the, in the, in the books, here, yeah, whatever, then that would be okay. And you're going to see what Sheikh Uthameen thinks of all these you know, scenarios. But the point is, that's the humbly kind of you know, example being put forward. Anyway. That's what I'm saying. Listen, let's, let's, yeah, I, I think we'll deal, we'll deal with that next week. Yeah, it makes more sense. So, um, Sheikh Uthameen also makes, makes a point. He goes, what if someone says, this is all nonsense. What about yani, the impurity in your stomach? You know, you've, you're carrying that on. You're carrying the jasa with you. And Sheikh Uthameen mentions a principle, and that is that uh, the things which are inside the body do not have a hukam. They do not have a ruling. Okay? And that's actually quite a useful qaida. It's a quite a useful maxim. He gives an example for um, miscarriage. Okay? So in miscarriage, in, well, in the case of miscarriage is one thing, but when it comes to what's growing uh, in pregnancy, it obviously is going through stages. And there is a certain stage before, or whether you want to call it life starts or not, where it moves from menstrual blood effectively to congealed blood to whatever the alaqa you want to call it to be. And at that point, at best, this thing is not a human form and it's just a najis gathering of najasa. I mean, it's got, you hear what I'm trying to say? It's not clean, is it? It's not pure. But then something happens, right? Uh, 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 and that's why some, some of the classical fuqaha they said istihala occurs there's a transformation of stage so it transforms into a human and by that transformation it becomes pure now that fact okay there is going to be somewhere along the line for the scholars that wanted to establish that rule there's going to be an application for that somewhere I haven't thought about it enough what the application would be but they want to make it clear that the najasa in the body becomes pure we will say, no need for that. It doesn't matter whatever's in the stomach, whether it's pure or impure, it has no effect upon the outside. And that's the easy way out. Simple as that. Okay? So it doesn't apply. Then to finish off now, folks, um, the Sheikh says, So anything which is um, in contact with, so it's not actually, he's not carrying it or holding it, but it is next to him, yani in contact. A bashar al-musalli, Okay, so for example, he says that a person, he's praying, okay, and he leans against a, he's, he's holding a, a wall whilst he's praying and the wall is najis, and he's leaning against it. This one, he goes, it, it, would, it would be out, and his prayer is out, and it's not, not accepted. So for example, he's where he's sitting, his knees are actually upon the najasa. Or for example, he makes the prostration and his hands are upon the najasa. Then the prayer is not acceptable. He said, however, if a person was to, if a person's clothes was to touch something najas, Okay, but he doesn't lean up, uh, 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 on it. Then the scholars, some scholars said, it does not affect him because this is not something which is established upon the clothes. It is not considered as touching. Meaning, if a person was to go into ruku'ah and his thobe 
He says Rukua, yeah. He goes, if a person wants to go into Rukua, and as a result of his kind of movement, the, the um, uh, thawb came into contact with a wall that was behind him that was najis. So what happens here is that instead of his backside yani, being firmly against the wall where it's like leaning and you know he can't fall down because he's leaning against it so tight like I am, or he's now here but the clothes is touching it, so there's not me leaning on it at all, there's a big distance but my clothes are touching it, then the prayer itself is valid because it, he's not actually leaning upon the najasa and it's not making an, a proper contact. That's what some of the scholars have said. So he says, um, he goes, and likewise if a person is yani, uh, praying and there's najasa all over the place, but he doesn't actually touch the najasa, so he's like, you know, does some, something like that, and he doesn't touch the najasa, then he never touched it, and his prayer is something which is acceptable. Okay, even if it is next to him. Even if it is next to him. And that's why then he moves into the next point. That's why the Hanbalis then said that if there was an area which is completely najis and then you were able to put something on top of it, even if it was earth, or you were to put a mat on top of it, then you'd be okay because you've created that, yani that gap between you and the najasa. So even if that najasa is uncovered but not touching you, or you are on top of it, but you are covering yourself with something, the prayer itself is valid. Okay? So that's something which yani, you should keep in mind, especially when you're praying outside, especially when you don't have so much shak, don't have so much yani, fear, you know, um, uh, unless you literally are praying in a toilet, it's very unlikely that the whole area that you're praying in is impure. Okay? Is, is, is najis. Alright? Any questions before we call it? Because that yeah, is the hour done. Yeah. Yes. Well, well, the Sheikh does not mention whether the, 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 the najasa on the wall was of the transferable or non-transferable reality. But it's obvious it's non-transferable. When we're talking about impurity, okay, on the wall here in this scenario of touching it, it obviously is dry. By definition, when we say non-transferable, we mean dry. Because we know that anything dry that touches you, the ruling of najasa does not apply because it can come off. Like, let me give you an example. If you are praying and, I don't know, however, someone defecates on you. <laughs> Which is, I don't know how that happens, yeah? No, no, but that's easy. I'm talking about the drying. But it's dry. Absolutely dry, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But let's say someone, okay, sorry, much easier. Let's say someone throws feces at you. That's much more yani, common and much more likely. Oh. We live in the world today, yani, I'm sure. And now, I mean, common relative to yani, someone doing a dump on you, I mean, that common, relative to that, I mean. So. That person's are very unlikely to find yani, something fresh. He's probably, you know, something dry or whatever. Yes? We covered this in detail before, if you remember. In the second year or third year? Second year? That najasa itself, it is the wetness that, that is the problem, not the actual thing itself. Meaning it is quite possible, for example, if someone, you know, you're praying and your eyes were closed, someone put najasa upon your yani, thing, anything, and you open, open your eyes and you saw najasa there, at that moment you would take it off. Because it's dry. Now, if it's wet, it's already transferred its najasa to your skin. You're, you have to now wash it off. You have to now stop the prayer and wash it off. Okay? The, likewise, the wall. Of course, it's non-transferable. Because if it's wet, then it's already transferred to your clothes. So the idea is that it's a dry najas kind of thing. Yeah? So, you know, what if it's in your shoe, like, dog pulls something and it's on your shoe and then just wipe it on the grass? Would that suffice then? Or would that... Is that in prayer, outside of prayer? What are we talking about? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the idea of wiping it on the grass to clean from dog poo or whatever is that you've cleaned it. It doesn't matter whether you can, and that's one of the things that we established. Remember that there's a lot of rules with respect to how do you clean something. And we said, our position, like, like we summarized last week, is that as long as it's gone, it's gone. Whether it's gone via wiping or grass or X or Y or whatever, but we have to assume that it's gone, gone, gone. Yeah, and, he, uh, and only then that is it okay. Yeah. Yes. I don't understand how the uh, hadith for the Prophet takes his, his shoes off. 
prayer not invalidated if you're saying that you, you, you have any any trace of impurity because he didn't know you don't need to that's the whole point right you don't need to like again the fiqh is meant to be one of real life right so a person has a general idea this is my dirty thought this is my clean thought that's the kind of level of you know yeah you wouldn't now go to your thought now and start to do you know an inspection correct that's not what you would do we know that okay that this is a thought but I have no reason to suspect that it's dirty now if you went to the toilet and something happened and you thought, you know what, I think something happened and there you're looking and you might have a quick look, okay? But we're not talking about a massive thing. And uh, uh, obviously, uh, uh, shoes and so on, they are involved in going outside and so on and so forth. And there are another hadith that we covered about the first step that yani, makes it dirty, the second step purifies. And so there is a real ihtimal, a real yani, belief that actually you're okay pretty much most of the time. And that is the correct opinion. A Muslim must always assume that they are pure 95% of the time. And the 5% is down to something actually happening that causes a reason. So here the Prophet ﷺ had no clue that he has actual other, actual najasa upon his uh, slippers. And then he finds out, and so then he removes them. And that is why next week, or maybe week after, we're going to come to that part about what's the ruling for a person who once he has prayed, he sees najasa upon his clothes. What's the ruling? And we said there are two rulings. First one which applies to a person who knew about it before and a person who didn't know. And then we rule accordingly based upon that. All right? Any further questions, guys? Can I just say a couple of things? The, uh, yeah. Exam Everyone, by the way, one, uh, make sure you stay. It's an important announcement for the people who are local. Yeah. The deferral exam this weekend. Oh, yes. For folks, Yani, uh, uh, even if you haven't studied LP... Then go try and take the, 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 the review sessions. A couple of sessions should do, do you enough, one, two hours. And try taking the, weekend, the exam this weekend. And those people who have prepared this weekend is the exam uh, for year five. Okay, last year's uh, exam. Nine, twenty, next week. Sit still. Uh, well, actually, shall we give it earlier? Yeah, I, I, it should. Oh, the, 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 the thing uh, closes, uh, I guess, earlier every week. Uh, uh, say the next week, the Salah uh, 8.45, yeah? Yeah, we're, we're, on a, we're on a 15 minute drop every week now, right? Yeah, I mean, five, yeah. Plus, 5 plus 9. Yeah. 20 minutes. 15 minutes or 20 minutes? 20 minutes. 15, yeah, sorry. 20. Every week, 15 minutes, I guess, earlier. For those who are watching, whatever time you watched it today, 15 minutes earlier, 15 minutes earlier. So, so it's 20 minutes after. Has their own tickets gone up or not? Yeah, Ulmfest uh, tickets, uh, I think their price is either going to go up tonight or Friday or something like that. So, so 5 past 9 online next week. 5 past 9 online next week. 5 past 9 online next week. Okay, guys? Jazakumullah khair. Subhanakallah wa bihamdika. Ashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Wa astaghfirukullahumma wa atubu ilaik. Wa salamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.